0: But if you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, we'll, we'll finish up this chapter um, today, Lord willing, so John chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary, and saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the, thing, the things which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he was not saying this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he per, uh, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country. "...near the wilderness into the city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples." Now the feast of the Jews was near, and many of the Jews, uh, many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple... What do you think that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they may seize him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would bless our time around this word. May we glean from it its truths. May we, maybe. You give understanding, Father. And Lord, allow our hearts to be obedient. Allow us to be receptive to this Word. Eager to implement it into our lives. Not let it lay dormant in our hearts and unused. May it change our hearts. May it change our desires. May it change our thinking. And then may it change our actions. Lord, we pray that You would bless this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is an incredible passage. This passage exposes man's sinful, wicked heart. And, and really, it's unbelievable to us as Christians, yet here it is. It's so clear. Jesus had performed a miracle, an incredible feat. And yet there are those who have chosen, willfully chosen, to ignore the glory of God. We saw His glory. It was clearly spelled out for us. And we said, wow, no man can do that. And yet there were those who actually saw it. Saw it take place. And they, and they went and they set in uh, motion... A chain of events that resulted in the betrayal and the trial and the murder of Christ. And so, so they were trying to squelch, they were trying to kill that glory that was being seen. And we just asked the question, how in the world can, can anyone see these things and not respond and not realize that Jesus Christ is God? That's just It's amazing to me how, how there could be those who saw Christ in person and who said with John, we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But there are some who saw the very same Jesus, do the same miracles, do the same thing, listen to the same teaching, and yet go away completely unmoved. It's amazing to me. It's something that I really don't understand. I mean, God's glory is on display for all to see and to draw, be drawn into a relationship with Him. But those who ignore it, what we find is that they forfeit at that relationship. Let me state that again. God's glory is on display for all to see. And they saw it. It was on display. And, and that glory was to be used to draw people in to a relationship with God, a relationship with Him. But those who just ignore it, what they're doing is not only ignoring the glory of God, but they're, they're forfeiting a close relationship, an intimate relationship with the God of creation. And that's just profound to me. It's profound. I I don't understand that yet, like I said. Here it is. Now this is a simple passage. It's very straightforward. The outline uh, John is giving us here is just simply the results of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now he saw the miracle, but what were the results? And he gives us two results. Those who saw the glory of God, who believed in Him, and we see that in verse forty five. And that's all he gives us, just the one verse. And he really doesn't explain um, uh, the results of the disciples and what they thought about it, or Mary and Martha. He doesn't give us uh, what they thought about these things. But he just he assumes that we're Christians and we'll figure that out for ourselves. He has another point here. And he gives us a lot of information about what happened as a result. Uh, for those who did not see or, or saw this, but did not really see the glory of God. And so we'll outline the passage in that in those two points there. Those who saw the glory of God and those who didn't see the glory of God. It's very simple. There was a miracle. Some people believed. Some people did not. Some people's heart were hardened. But look at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what He had done believed in Him. Now the word therefore is is one of the therefores in this passage. There are several others and that point to a chain of events. Therefore, as a result of this, um, this miracle, this happened. And then in verse 54... Uh, this happened, another therefore. And actually in verse 40, uh, 47 as well, therefore. And then there's a, a now, and then another now. And it's a, what you see is a, a series of events, and you can see the, some of the first words of the, some of the verses, and you see the chain of events that happened as a result of this. They saw this, and then this happened. So you, you see a chain of events. But then it says, therefore, many of the Jews... Now, it wasn't many of the Jews in the nation of Jerusalem, but it was, or the nation of Israel, but it was the Jews that were at the funeral. Many of the Jews that were there. In fact, he goes on to explain, those are the ones that, that came out to see Mary. Remember, Mary and Martha were in the house. Martha went out first, talked to Jesus, had a conversation with Jesus, went back and told Mary. Mary ran out, and they, um, These Jews then followed her. They thought she was going to go to the temple to grieve there, it says. And so they followed her. And uh, when they got there, they saw Jesus. And they saw this miracle that He did. So they saw it with their own eyes. They saw what He had done. And it says they believed They believed. They put their faith and trust in Him. There's only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life that comes to the Father, that gets people to the Father. It's through Him. And you cannot uh, get to God any other way. That's it. There's no other way. And and God, or Christ, used this miracle to open the eyes. God used this miracle to open the eyes of these people, some of these Jews. It says many of these Jews who were there. And they believed in Him. So He opened their eyes. That really is another miracle within itself. The others, we can understand that because they were blinded in their sinfulness. And it, it takes a miracle of God to... For someone to see these things and believe. We'll see that in a little bit. And God, So God uses this miracle to produce within them faith. Produce faith within them. And John, in fact, that's one of the purposes of the book of John. If you'll remember back in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these have been written, these miracles have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's the whole purpose of the book. So John gives us the seventh of, this, of these miracles, seven of these great miracles of Jesus, so that you would believe. He's wanting to have the same effect in your life. These these miracles, to have the same effect uh, in your heart, producing faith so that you see these things and you say, yes, He must be Christ or He must be God, I believe. I believe. That's the process. That's what John wants to happen. Some people saw it and they believed and put their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean... That it was a permanent thing. If you remember back, some other Jews believed. And those were not just Jews, but these were uh, Jewish leaders. That's the way John kind of uses that term. But back in uh, John chapter 8, verse 30, it just reminds you of this. You know this. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So there's initial belief, but there has to be a continuation of these things. They have to continue to believe. If you continue in my word. So there's, a, there's an initial response there. and Maybe all of these will believe. Maybe all of these are genuine. But we don't know that. But, uh, but that's what miracles do. They point to God. And that's what's happened with these people here. This miracle has just opened their eyes and it pointed to God. It pointed them to God, who Christ really is. And it was a miracle. changed their life. But Christ, uh, if you remember, and and actually miracles are signs, if you remember, uh, that that point to Christ. Uh, Sometimes in Scripture, they're just called signs, these signs, these miracles. And they point to Christ, and they're used to draw men to Christ. But Christ said, if you remember back, that He says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We're actually the more blessed, He would say. And having not seen these signs, you've actually put your faith in someone that that you don't know. Someone that you haven't seen. He said, you're blessed. Oh, I, I think it's the other way around. I would love to have been there and seen Lazarus come out of that, uh, out of that tomb. But, uh, but we're blessed because it takes faith to please God and we live by faith. But now God also uses this miracle in the lives of those who are already believers. And, um, and He strengthened their faith. Now Jesus, Jesus said this in in uh, chapter eleven, verse fifteen. He says, "I am glad for your sake. I'm glad that Lazarus has died for your sake, and that I was glad that I wasn't there to to heal him before he died, because um, so that you may believe." And and he's talking about their faith needed to be strengthened, and these miracle this miracle that Christ performs was there to strengthen the faith of those. Uh, those believers and they they saw this and they said wow, and they probably worshipped and in fact, like I said, John doesn't give us what happened, but we can we can imagine that as believers, that's going to strengthen our faith, yes we've got the right guy he's our shepherd, he's our Lord he's the one that we need to follow and, and our faith would be strengthened and, and we would just gird up and, and we would be strong, yes You understand what I'm talking about? And it would be amazing. And we would worship Christ. But John doesn't give us that. He just tells us some believed. But Jesus did tell us one other point here. If you look back at chapter 11, we're in chapter 11, but verse 4. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. The, the, the overarching purpose of this miracle was to give glory to God, and that Jesus Christ might be glorified. That's the purpose. In fact, in verse forty, uh, John, uh, Jesus reminds us again. Jesus, uh, he says uh, to, he's talking to Martha at this time. Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? It's for the purpose of glorifying God. That's the purpose of this. Overarching purpose of this miracle. And they saw this, and they didn't see it as some kind of trick. They didn't see it as some kind of incantation or some kind of uh, something that that Satan would produce. No, this was from God. Now, they saw it, and some saw the glory of God in it, but some didn't see God's glory. They just saw a trick. They just saw something that was uh, pretty interesting, maybe entertaining. Um, they didn't see the glory of God. God's glory God's glory is seen throughout Scripture. Now, there's some of these uh, supernatural, spectacular events like raising Lazarus, raising a man who had been dead for four days. And they're spectacular. And we say, wow, at that. We see that as God's glory. So clearly, it's just fully there. But yet the Bible tells us, and it's the, it, that uh, the glory of God is seen everywhere. It's a, like I said, it's a major theme in Scripture. If you look over to Psalm chapter 19, Psalm chapter 19, let me remind you of this passage here: "The heavens are telling of the glory of God. The heavens, they're out there. And they're telling of the glory of God. The word telling there is a constant, continuous telling forth. They're constantly, continuously telling forth of the glory of God. And their expanse is constantly, continuously declaring the works of His hand. Day to day, every day, they are doing this. They pour forth speech. And night into night, they reveal knowledge. Now, their speech is not heard. It's not audible. It's not that, boy, I hear the glory of God there. No. Nonetheless, their line goes out. Their sound goes out through all of the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. Do you get that? God's glory is on display everywhere. At every time. In every generation. God's glory is on display. Um, Isaiah said it like this. And i love this and this was actually one of the angels that uh, isaiah saw that said this but he said it like this in uh, isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 and one uh, and one called out to another this is a seraphim and he says holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory the whole earth is full of his glory His glory is on display through what He has created, through what we can see. Even though God is spirit, we can't see God because He is spirit. We can see the evidence of God through what He has made, through His creation. And we see His glory through that. Now listen, God's glory is an integral part of who man is. You need to understand that. God's glory is an integral part of who man is. God was, or man was made in the image of God. He was made in the, in God's image. Now, I know we have, Paul told us, we have fallen short of the glory of God. It's because sin in our life. But man was designed to reflect God's glory. Just like all of creation. We are designed to reflect God's glory. We're dependent upon Him. We serve Him. We worship Him. We are His creations. We think that we and we tend to be just independent, but we're not. We are here for a purpose, and that is to glorify God. We're not to be independent of Him at all. We are completely dependent upon Him. Now, so the glory of God is intrically a part of who man is and what man is, and as as created by God. So God's glory is on display throughout the universe, and God wants mankind to deduce, to think about, and um, His creation, to see His creation, and come to the conclusion that this God is a God, the God of the universe is a powerful God. He is a God of Majesty. That's that's the story that we see in Scripture. It's about God's glory on display. Now, we as Christians, we as Christians, see Paul said it. We see glory, the glory of God, in the face of Christ. He said that in Second Corinthians. We'll look at that in a little bit. Second Corinthians 4, 6, that in the face of Christ, as we look at Christ, we are seeing God's glory. We're seeing God's glory. Now what's an amazing statement is, in John chapter 17, you're in the book of John, turn over to John chapter 17 and verse 22. I want you to see this. I know you think, well, he's way off track, but we'll pull this all together and it'll make sense to you in just a minute. The glory which, this is in John chapter 17, verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. What does that mean? God has given uh, glory to Christ. And and He says, I've given it to them, that were the disciples, those who believed in Him and, and us as well. We actually can glorify God. We become one with God, and that's what He's talking about here: is the unity that they may be one. So, as we come closer to God, we reflect His glory, and that glory just rubs on uh, off on us. And I and them, He says, we're we're one. They and us and I and them, He goes on to say that they may that they may be perfect in unity. So that the world may know that the uh, that you sent me and love me even even as you have loved me, Father, I desire also uh, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be with me where I am, so that they may what see my glory. So there's a sense in which He has given us, as children of God, His glory. But it's not in its full sense yet. Because Jesus says, I want them to see me in my, in my full glorious state when I get to heaven. Lord, protect them. Make sure they, they, get to the, they get there so that they can see me in my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. And he goes on. Did you get the picture there? We have God's glory. We're reflecting God's glory. It's not full. It's not the way it should be completely. And we won't see His glory yet all the way, but yet is there. Now let's take this step one further. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So we see God's glory in the face of Christ. And we look at that. And we're drawn into His glory. And we're united with God. And we're reflecting His glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now this is the passage that was read to us earlier. There's much that, that uh, could be said here. Um. But let's just read the last pat- the last verse, verse eighteen. There's there's much more that that needs to be said. In fact, what Paul is doing here is comparing the old covenant with the new covenant, and the new covenant is so much more glorious. There's so much to the the new covenant, and it it just outshines that old covenant. And you'll you'll see that if you read that chapter, but verse eighteen. But we all that's that's believers. We all with unveiled face. Moses veiled his face. We are unveiled face. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of, of the Lord. It's not full yet. It's just in a mirror, in a, in a shiny thing that we can kind of see the reflection. Behold, we're beholding, looking into this mirror, the glory of the Lord. We're looking at Christ. And are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the from the Lord uh, the Spirit. Now, here's the picture here. As we look at this, at this full-on glory of Christ, or actually this glory that's just somewhat veiled because it's a mirror, we'll see the full thing when we get to heaven. When we look at Christ through the Word of God here, we are being transformed into the same image. Into His glory. And we move then from one level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory. That's an amazing thing. But that's who we are. That's what, that is what God is doing in your life if you're a believer. Look at one chapter over. Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart It's kind of bringing this to a close and applying this. We do not lose hope, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. So that that transformation is taking place and we're actually getting more and more Christ-like. The glory of God is more and more seen in our lives. Even though our outward body this this physical body that we're in it, it's it's decaying it's getting worse and worse now i 'm seeing that more and more it's not just the hair anymore it's the eyeballs man they're going bad i can't i have to have everything right up here i need bifocals this outward body is just decaying but the inward man is being transformed from one level of glory to the next level of glory verse 17 for this um momentary light afflictions that we have, and and, and those play a part in this sanctification process, this transforming process. This moment light affliction is producing for us an internal weight of what? Of glory. Far beyond all comparison. While, While we look not on the things which are seen... Even though we live in this physical universe, we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal. This earth is just temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What do we do? Let's pull this together. How does this work then? We live in this physical universe, but our attention, our focus is upon Christ and eternal spiritual things. And when we do that, when that is our focus, and we go through trials, God is transforming us on a daily basis from one level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory. Because we're looking at His glory. We're looking at His glory. And we're drawn into a deeper relationship with Christ with God and that that unifies us that pulls us together in with God a unity with God and then then we reflect more and more of his glory and you see the process there now let's see if I can illustrate this when I was, uh, was not when when I was uh when I was young I was about 23 I was flying home from Spain from Barcelona Spain it was a long trip and I had a lot of time to think and um, I had done, I had accomplished some things that I wanted to do. I wanted to travel a little bit, and and the Lord had allowed me to do that. I was out, just to actually uh, spent uh, time with missionaries. The Lord uh, allowed me to do that. and I was coming home, and I was satisfied with with uh, the summer. And I was thinking, you know, it's time to settle down now. And I started thinking about marriage. And uh, I, I actually got out a list. I was going to write down who can I marry and I, I know it 's not the way to do that, but I really only had one person on the list, Ruthie Reinhardt came to mind and and I started thinking I started thinking, remembering her smile and I remembered her her personality and her beauty and her laugh and her intelligence and her kindness and Then I remembered her family and, and i I loved her family, they were just a wonderful bunch and and that began to just draw me in. I want to marry that girl. By the time the plane landed, I had already made up my mind. I had no idea where she was. I hadn't seen her in months or probably years. But but I I knew, how's the girl, man? I'm going to pursue her. And, and, and I was drawn by what I remembered of her. And... Um, Tell you this as well. Um, I took a class. I, I took a class in uh, family counseling many, many years ago, and uh, it really wasn't a very good class. But um, this, the whole premise of this class was uh, the the zingless marriage and how to put zing back into your marriage. Uh, yeah. And that was that was about it. And uh, the premise of the whole class is if you got people in your uh, you know in your office and, and they want to put zing back into their marriage or their 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 marriage has fallen apart, then what they need to do is remember the things that they liked about one another when they first started dating. There was something there that attracted you. There was something there that drew you, and so you're just you just remembered back. That's what you do. And you focus on that. And, you know, of course, you can get that same principle from any of the old Disney movies. But, but it, you know, they say it would work, you know. I don't know if it worked. But I tell you what, it worked for me. I think back, I think of my wife's glory, if you will. The things that attract me. The things that, that draw me into her. Listen, it's the same thing with God's glory. It attracts us. It pulls us in into a relationship, into a deeper relationship with Him. Moses was a friend of God. And Moses said, Lord, let me see Your glory. I want to see it to be drawn in even deeper, even further into a relationship with You. That's what Moses said. Now how do we apply this? What do we do with this? They saw the glory of Christ. these believers, and it doesn't say much there less than much more than that, It's just they believed but, but listen believing, then they saw the God's glory. Jesus said, "If you believe you'll see my glory, you'll see the glory of God. They believed and I believe they saw the glory of God and they celebrated it and it drew them in and it gave them confidence in that relationship who this man really is. And it deepened their relationship with, with Christ. Um, what's so amazing, really what's more amazing, is to me, is just how people can see it and and not respond. But that's why we say they're just dead spiritually. There's, there's spiritual stimuli there, but there's no response just no response you can put a hamburger in front of my face and man i'm going to be drawn to that hamburger the smell and the sight and i want the hamburger but you can put a rock in front of my face and there's no no response i'm not interested in eating a rock you can you can put things spiritual principles out to the unbeliever and and there's just not going to be anything there that's going to attract that's going to appeal and we see this in Luke chapter 16, uh, Lazarus and the, the rich man who both died. Then the rich man, he, uh, he sees Lazarus over in Abraham's bosom. He says, look, send Lazarus back and, and tell my brothers and, and then they'll believe. And what did Father Abraham say? No, you know what? Even if one comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe. There's nothing within them. Listen, the miracle is is that God worked in these people's lives and they believed and ignited something within them that, that responded to this same miracle that everybody else saw. They believed. Folks, we don't take that for granted. That, that's one of the reasons. That's the biggest reason that we pray. We pray before we go out to evangelize, before we go out in the morning to to talk to people about Christ, we pray, Lord, help them not to just see a good worker. Help them to see Your glory in my life. Help them not to just see a good man. Help them to see Your glory. Help them not to see just a, a nice family. Help them to see Your glory. It's about God's glory. And God has to to work in that heart for them to respond. And so we pray. We pray for Daniel. We pray for Beckley. We pray for the people here. Lord, draw them to Yourself. Let them see Your glory. Let me show you what else is happening here. If you turn over to Romans chapter 1, this is just a perfect outline. Here's what's going on. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. This is, this is exactly what we see. You see some who believed, but then you see those who just, no response, they, no, re, no belief, no response at all. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Verses that you know well, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature is clearly seen, being understood through that which He has made, so that they are without excuse." God's glory is on display, and, and and God says, look, they see it, they should have it, but they still, they just suppress any truth there. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they saw Him, but they just ignored it. They knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their... Foolishness, or the foolish heart was darkened. Now here it is. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. They saw the glory of God and they acted foolishly. They didn't believe. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. They saw it. It was on display. God's glory was there. The glory of an incorruptible God... For an image of the form of corruptible man. They wanted God's glory. They exchanged God's glory for man's glory and four footing birds and four footing animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them over to their own lust. That's exactly if you turn back over to John chapter eleven, that's exactly what we see here. Let's just quickly move through this passage. John chapter 11, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The things which Jesus had done. It was amazing. It was a miracle. Nah, not to them. No response. No spiritual stimuli at all. They just, ah, he's up to his old tricks again. He just did it again. He just raised the guy from that. Now, what are we going to do about that? How can we top that? Can you believe the thinking there? It just, it just blows my mind. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees... These are two groups, and I, I don't have time to tell you about these two groups. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they never come together. Because of their hatred for Christ, they came together chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. Let's get together guys. We've got to do something. And we're saying, what are we doing? You see the extreme in their thinking? You see the emotional response? Man, they're keyed up. For this man is performing many signs. Now they don't think about that. They don't don't put two and two together. If he's doing these signs, where is he getting his power? Man, he must be God. I'm going to be, I'm going to go for, I'm going to switch sides here. Now, if we let Him go on like this, all men are going to believe in Him. And the Romans, And look at the two options here, and they're both extreme, and they're, they're not realistic, but the Romans are going to come in, take our place and our nation. They're going to take our authority, our place. And they were the spiritual leaders of that day. The, the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees, the chief priests are made up mainly of the Sadducees, and and they were the aristocrats and the Pharisees were the more the traditionalists. They were steeped in the, the teachings of the rabbis and they come together. and They said, He's going to take our place. He's going to replace us. He's going to take our authority. Rome's going to come in and Rome's going to squash us because there's so much tension. And so the obvious conclusion in Caiaphas, the high priest, just states it out. It's obvious, guys. Somebody's got to go, and it's not going to be us. It's not going to be us. This is, you, you know, you, you blockheads. Verse forty-nine. Well, it doesn't read blockheads, but it's saying the same thing. You know nothing at all. You can see the frustration, the extreme in in their in their speaking. Nor do you, nor do you take into account that it is expedient. For you that one man die for the people and the whole nation not perish. Oh, we're all going to die. Rome is going to come in. You see the theological or the the political thinking here? That's exactly what's happening. And um, so what you have, this is kind of sum up. Well, let let me go and read down to verse 53. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative. Even though they've got this emotional response and then they start thinking through it. um, They're not outside the bounds of God. Even when He opened His mouth, God was speaking. He was prophesying. He didn't even know what He was talking about. He was thinking, you know, just Jesus dying for the nation so the nation's not split apart. And uh, God in the theological sense, meant He is a substitutionary atonement. And that kind of death. And not for the nation only, but also for... And John goes on and gives us this theology, in order that He might gather together into one the children of God. You know, that's exactly what's happened here. We are here because Christ's death. And He gathered us together. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. They were a force to be reckoned with. Now, what has changed? What about those who, who saw and did not believe? They saw the glory of God and just ignored it. You know what? No change at all. No change in their emotions. Their emotions were still the same. They didn't have any love for Christ. No change in their thinking. They still hated Him. They still wanted to kill Him. They they were thinking irrationally. They were thinking how this is going to affect them and not propositional thinking, not propositional principles out there. No, we've got to do what's right. No, we've got to do what's expedient. We've got to do what's politically expedient for us they just it was situational ethics they just threw it out the window so their thinking was just completely completely messed up their emotions were messed up their their thinking was messed up and then their actions of course they're going to base their actions upon their emotions and their thinking and they're just going to do the wrong thing and that's exactly what they did because they ignored the glory of god they just ignored it bad decision in Christ, He was ultimately in control. They're not going to take Him before His time, and so therefore, He no longer continued to walk publicly. He pulls back, and He spends time with His His disciples, and we'll see that in the next few chapters of John. Now, the Pharisees are now the Passover. The Jews was near, and some of the Jews went up and said, "Hey, do you think He's going to come? You think He's going to come to the?" Temple, do you you think he's going to have that much nerve? Jesus is in control the whole time. And he knew of the edict in verse 57. Now the, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone, anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they may seize him. So they're making good on their thinking and making good on their emotions had not changed in spite of seeing the glory of God, and they take action. We've got to kill him, and so we make this edict. We put this edict out there, and if anybody knows where he is, they have to report it to us. So they were carrying out the desires and the thinking of a wicked heart from their own jealousy, from their own selfishness, from their hatred of Christ, and they forfeit a relationship with God. I just think that's ironic because these are religious people. If anybody knew how to get to God, it was going to be these guys. the Religious leaders. And they forfeit a relationship with God because they ignored the glory of God when they saw it. Nothing had changed in their life. And they took action based upon their emotions. It's a slippery slope to be basing things on your emotions and your bad thinking instead of going to Scripture. Let me ask you this. Let's just apply this. How often do we see the glory of God and we just ignore it? We see it all over the place in our creation. You know what? We see it in the face of Christ right here in Scripture when we read this. Are we drawn into it? Into a deeper relationship with Christ, does it pull us in, or can we just so easily just just ignore it? I, I think sometimes as believers we can see it, and we just we just kind of come to you, you know kind of take it for granted the glory of God. and I think it's there for us. I think God's revealed His glory in this book and John has given us these miracles so that we can look at, at this Christ and say, Wow! And be drawn into a deeper relationship. And our faith is just stronger and stronger as a result of looking at the face of Christ and the glory of Christ. Now, the consequences of ignoring is just continuing to be trapped in your own sinfulness than to forfeit a relationship with God, and it works even after you become saved. Just ignore the principles of Scripture. You just ignore the glory of God there, and we just kind of get complacent in our sin, and we're forfeiting a, a closer relationship with God. It's a sobering thing. So, my challenge is, if you were a, if you were here. And you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You need, to, you need to do that today. Don't remain in your sinfulness. You need to turn. And of course, it's God has work in your heart, but he, He'll draw and He'll convict. And you need to respond to that. And we as believers, what do we do? After seeing this miracle, after seeing God's glory, it should strengthen our faith. And we say, that's our God Go for it. Our team is winning. I like what, then I'll end with this. Just this one statement, really, from one hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. You got that? How firm, how solid, how secure the foundation, you saints of the Lord. That's us. Is laid for your faith. Our faith has to rest on something. His excellent Word. is laid for your faith, His excellent Word. What more can He say? What more can He say? He said it all. It's all here. It's so clear. To you, then to you, He has said. It's, it's all there. And He said it. And he continues to say it. Every time we read it, and we, we're just affirmed in our faith and it's there. Every time we open this Word, we can say, my, my faith is strengthened. And it says, he goes on, to, to you who for refuge to Jesus had fled. We've just, we've just fled. is The natural thing to do is to go to that man, to Jesus. He is the answer. And we begin to put our faith in Him and we begin to grow stronger because we look at Him and we relationship with Him grows deeper. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for these principles. Lord, these are not easy things. This is heavy. Lord, we, we read this and it just excites our heart. It ignites our faith. And we say, yes. We say, wow, to the glory of God. And we're drawn, drawn to You. And we're excited. Lord, that's the kind of life that we need to live on a daily basis. Every time we see Your glory, we should be drawn in. We should be be pulled along spiritually from one level of glory to the next level of glory. Till we come to unity with you in heaven, in that perfect display of glory. Father, help us. Help us to have the right perspective here on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.